Hello there, little masters, and welcome to another weekly episode of the Prancing Pony Podcast, where tonight, the good stuff will make you bold as a toque. West Hall, my friends. I'm Sean Marchese, the real-life Lord of the Mark, and I'm here with the Man of the West, the Lazy Lob to my Crazy Cobb, both of which are just insulting to anybody, <laughs> Alan Sisto. Well, apparently not as insulting as Adder Cop or Tom Naughty, though. Yeah. Folks, tonight we wrap up Chapter 8 of The Hobbit, Flies and Spiders, and we'll get a brief glimpse of what the future has in store in the Elven King's Halls. And I hope this won't be a surprise to anyone. This is the third of three episodes on this chapter. Oh, yeah. That shouldn't so be a surprise to anybody. I hope not. I hope not. <laughs> if you haven't, for some reason, listened to the last two episodes, 69 and 70 yet, go do that. Yeah. Yeah. Please. Otherwise... Well, you probably already read the book anyway, so you're not going to be lost or anything, but you will miss out on a lot of cool stuff. Oh, yeah, definitely. And today's discussion is really going to build on what we covered in the last two. Definitely. Sean, I know we have a lot to talk about as always, so uh, should we just get straight to it? I think we should, but first, why don't we get to another Tolkien fun fact? It's time for another one. It's been a while. Tonight's Tolkien fun fact comes to us from the Humphrey Carpenter biography, uh, as well as Tolkien's own words in his letters. As I think everyone knows, Tolkien was born in uh, Bloemfontein, Orange Free State, what's now South Africa, where his father Arthur was a bank manager. Being a baby in South Africa in 1892 was apparently a, a rather exciting business. Most people have probably heard the story of baby John Ronald being bitten by a spider. If you haven't, Carpenter relates the story this way, and it's pretty straightforward. When he was beginning to walk, he stumbled on a tarantula. It bit him, and he ran in terror across the garden until the <laughs> nurse snatched him up and sucked out the poison. <laughs> Seems like the kind of thing that would scar you for life. But... You'd think it would. You'd think it would. Um, <laughs> but? I know, exactly. Carpenter somehow makes the claim that although Tolkien said the incident left him with no especial dislike of spiders— Nevertheless, in his stories, he wrote more than once of monstrous spiders <laughs> with venomous bites. The evidence of the stories does seem to, to stand against him. But, but truthfully, Tolkien's dismissal of that story is almost as famous as the story itself. Oh, yeah. In, in one of his letters, it was letter number 163, he said about Shelob, he said, if that, you know, her, if her appearance in the story mm -hmm. has anything to do with my being stung by a tarantula when a small child... People are welcome to the notion, supposing the improbable, that anyone is interested. I can only say that I remember nothing about it, should not know it if I had not been told, and I do not dislike spiders particularly and have no urge to kill them. I usually rescue those whom I find in the bath. Well, that's where he and I differ. That and writing <laughs> talent, but you know. Uh, yeah, there, there are just some, some things... Yeah. Some things yeah. I just... I won't save. I won't save certain lives. <laughs> yeah, that's spiders one of are one of them. Yeah. Now, Tolkien's mercy... No, I will it, try and get him. If I can, I'll try and get him out of the house instead of squashing him. Are you serious? Anyway. Yeah, mostly it's just Dep a time depends on, thing. Depends on where I find him. You know, if oh, I'm yeah. in the bath, yeah, I probably would kill him, but... Yeah. I if they're close to the that... door, I'll try and shoo him out the door. Wow. You're kinder than I am. <laughs> well, I, I mean, mean, we've known on. that. We've If people haven't figured that out over 71 episodes, right, then they're exactly. never going to figure yeah, that out. <laughs> oh. <laughs> It's good cop, You're, bad cop here on uh, the yeah, exactly. podcast. Yeah. <laughs> How does Feanor feel about the good cop, bad cop Oh, routine? there you go. There you go. Whack. Anyway. Didn't, uh, that thing gets beat up so bad. It's just not oh, even it's recognized. Oh, it's tattered. It's just hanging by a thread from no the tree. No more candy. I mean, there hasn't there's been no, candy no, since like episode 20. Yeah. Yeah. No. Any candy that was in, there might be a couple of like dots, boxes of yeah, dots in there. Or black licorice. <laughs> right. Some of the stuff nobody wants. Nobody you know? wants. Yeah. Mounds. 
Sorry. I like mounds. I know actually. some people do. I just don't get the I idea of like coconut mounds. in my candy. Why would you do that? That's just wrong. <laughs> because it's because it's fruit and it makes it feel healthy. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. I guess. I I just never oh, quite man. thought of that as being you know something that needs to be in my candy. I prefer almond joy though, just because the almonds. Well, yeah, it's got, almonds. it's got nuts. Mounds don't. Right. Mounds don't. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man, sometimes you feel like a nut. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Well, um, <laughs> as we digress <laughs> from our very early start, uh, Tolkien's And I'm hungry for the, some reason now. I don't know of why. Of course you are, for candy with coconut. Yeah. Uh, it's not the only tale of tolerance that we want to share today. Uh, back in South Africa, Tolkien's mother, Mabel, was disappointed in the poor treatment of the Native Africans by the European settlers. And she always treated the servants in their house with tolerance. Once, a servant named Isaac stole little John Ronald Rule and took him to his crawl, that's a traditional African village of huts, where he showed him off with pride. <laughs> Carpenter <laughs> says, and that was a quote from, from Carpenter, and so is this, it upset everybody and caused a great turmoil, but Isaac was not dismissed, and in gratitude, he named his own son, Isaac Mr. Tolkien Victor, in honor of his employers <laughs> and Queen Victoria, for some reason. <laughs> that's that's just wonderful. And Isn't that cool? It was, man, an exciting life for a baby in South Africa yeah, between the yeah. spiders and the, the good-natured abductions. Random kidnappings, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right, you know. But, you know, the, the little we know of Mabel Tolkien makes it no surprise to me that she was kinder to, you know, mm-hmm. the Native Africans than Absolutely. a lot of the people around her. I mean, many years later, actually, Christopher Tolkien was in South Africa training with the Royal Air Force during World War II. Mm-hmm. And Tolkien actually wrote to his son about how much his mother Mabel hated South Africa, how she used to speak of the horrifying racial problems, which mm. and that was the word Tolkien used, horrifying. Yeah. And, you know, uh, those racial problems sadly only got worse, you know, throughout yeah. the 20th century by the time Christopher was there. Um, true. But it just it sounds like Mabel was just truly a remarkable woman and a mm-hmm. major force in Tolkien's upbringing, not just through her Catholicism and her appreciation for languages, which I think we've talked about, but also mm-hmm. her moral character. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, she definitely had a, a really long-lasting impact mm-hmm. uh, on on J.R.R. Tolkien, for sure. Yep. Well, that wraps it up for this Tolkien fun fact and the accompanying digressions. So uh, <laughs> let's go ahead and get on with our discussion, shall we? I'm going to stop and get some candy first before we move on, <laughs> if that's okay. You start talking. I will. You start I'll... chewing. Yeah. Sounds good. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, we're going to start right where we left off before. Uh, we left off after the first of the songs that Bilbo wrote, mm-hmm. if you want to call it that. Attercop, Attercop, down you drop. Yeah, there you go. So I'm going to pick up right after that. It, with his own self-criticism, by the way. Not very good, perhaps. <laughs> but then you must remember that he had to make it up himself, on the spur of a very awkward moment. It did what he wanted, anyway. As he sang, he threw some more stones and stamped. Practically all the spiders in the place came after him. Some dropped to the ground. Others raced along the branches swung from tree to tree, or cast new ropes across the dark spaces. They made for his noise far quicker than he had expected. They were frightfully angry. Quite apart from the stones, no spider has ever liked being called Addercop, and Tom Naughty, of course, is insulting to anybody. <laughs> Off Bilbo scuttled to a fresh place, but several of the spiders had run now to different points in the glade where they lived, and were busy spinning webs across all the spaces between the tree stems. Very soon, the hobbit would be caught in a thick fence of them all round him. That, at least, was the spider's idea. Standing now in the middle of the hunting and spinning insects, Bilbo plucked up his courage and began a new song. Lazy lob and crazy cob are weaving webs to wind me. I am far more sweet than other meat, but still they cannot find me. Here am I, naughty little fly. You are fat and lazy. 
You cannot trap me, though you try, and your cobwebs crazy. With that, he turned and found that the last space between two tall trees had been closed with a web, but luckily not a proper web. Only great strands of double-thick spider rope run hastily backwards and forwards from trunk to trunk. Out came his little sword, he slashed the threads to pieces, and went off singing. <laughs> a little longer than I normally Man. want to start with, but there was no way to cut that. That's good stuff. You can't, you can't cut that. Mm -mm. You can't cut that song, and you can't cut the the book ending of no. you know of narrative that's around. You really, it. yeah, it's it's so central to, to what's going on here. Um, yeah, I mean, not only do you get the Tom Noddy is insulting to anybody, which is just which we I think we talked about that last time a little bit about why that's the yeah. case. Just sort of a, a word for a foolish person. Yeah, exactly, tomfoolery um, and all that. Yeah, mm -hmm. right. I I um, love that. I mean, I think this is just such a, a key moment for little Bilbo. You know, this mm -hmm. is his, this and the poem before it are really his first yeah. acts of subcreation. Oh wow, and, you're right. And yeah. it's it's out, you know, it's out of necessity. Remember, Bilbo, the great poet of Lord of That's the Rings. That's true. The know? guy who writes more poetry than any other. Yeah, boy. Yeah, I'm not kidding. And you know, half the poems in the Adventures of Tom Bombadil, or if not more, are attributed. Are attributed him. That's right. Um, and and this is the first one. You know, if you count, you could count the riddles maybe, but this yeah. is the first. You know. Really, the first one, and it's it's out of necessity, but it does exactly what he wants it to do, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. It accomplishes the goal. Mm -hmm. And we we talked a little bit. I, I think I maybe mentioned this really quickly last time, but how mm -hmm. you know what he's really doing is he's using song as a weapon here. Isn't and that cool? Considering what I we've know. come across in the Legendarium so far. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've seen going back to Finrod and Luthien, mm -hmm. both in the in the story of Baron and Luthien, you know, how they, yeah. they literally used, you know, Finrod battled with Sauron in Songs of Power. Mm -hmm. Luthien used song as, uh, you know, as, as a way of basically doing what we would call magic. Yeah. And uh, and as a weapon against Sauron. And Bilbo's kind of yeah, doing... Yeah, well, and against Morgoth, too. Oh, that's true. Of course, yeah. 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 Of course, yeah. That was the moment I was um, thinking, but you're right about yeah, Sauron yeah, as well. Yeah, that's, uh, that's the obvious one, isn't it? You're right. <laughs> 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 Forgot about that one. Um, Morgoth, that's he, the guy's old news. Yeah, but that's right. uh, but Bilbo's kind of doing the same thing here in mm -hmm. a in a much smaller way. Obviously, oh, yeah, yeah, scale is different. He, yeah, I mean he doesn't have elf power or Maya power, but no. you know he's just a hobbit. He works what he has, and what he has is mm -hmm. singing insults and throwing rocks, and <laughs> it does exactly what he wants it to do. It you know? does. It really does. Though it, in essence, it, they it worked a little too well. I think he wasn't quite expecting them <laughs> to, to <laughs> quite, get there as quickly quite as, as they infuriated did. as they got. Yeah. 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 That that's kind of overdoing it there. I love yeah. that we get another appearance of the word scuttled. By the way. I thought that was kind of oh, funny. that's a good catch, yeah. And then there's then every there's, time I see it now, I think of it being a rabbit word. Now. I know. And, and I'm I putting know. it on the list with the rabbit words. It it really is. It does seem that way. Um, and then I just happened to catch it, and funny because I've read this, you know, dozens of times. Didn't even catch before that you know, standing in the middle of these insects, Bilbo plucked up his courage. Now I know. Oh yeah. Spiders aren't insects. I don't expect Tolkien to say standing in the middle of these arachnids. These arachnids, but... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but of course, they aren't insects. So just right. That is that. that is a good catch. Yeah, it's just I one didn't of those think things. About that. It's funny what you catch so much more when you read out loud. Mm, I, I yeah. mean, even in my prep for this chapter, I didn't catch that. It was only that moment as I'm reading it out loud that I was like, wait a minute, insects. That you what? realize, wait a minute, did that just come out of my mouth? Did I just call spiders insects? <laughs> Something that I would correct my children if I heard? Exactly, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I might let my five-year-old get away with that for another little bit. He's just going to call them bugs. Now, see, you are nicer than I am. <laughs> <laughs> no, you call it an arachnid and you like it, son. That's right. Say it again, arachnid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or just call it a spider. There you go. Call it dead. Well, <laughs> call, it, call it dead on the bottom of my shoe. 
Call it get a, the poor get a Kleenex. <laughs> the poor spiders. Come on. Ah, uh, poor goodness. spiders. Hey, they would they not would... these spiders. Hey, these spiders deserve no mercy. Well, that's right. That's right. I'm pretty sure those tiny spiders would kill me if they had the chance. So I have no problem. You know, yeah, they probably would. They probably would. Well, on the topic of words for spiders, I've yes. got I've got a little more word nerdery here. Yeah, if I let's may. do it. I just realized so I'm we've got... digressing again, and we've got a long episode ahead of us. So no more of that. <laughs> we do. <laughs> no more. No more. Stay on task. Stay on. There you go. Stay on target. Stay on target. <laughs> I knew that was coming. I did. I was like, man, Red Five. Mm. Yep. Mm. Probably will not be the last Star Wars reference here tonight. No, it will not. Yes, yeah, so we've got these two words, these, mm-hmm. uh, this, these two lazy names he calls these. Lazy Lob and Crazy Lazy cob. Lob and Crazy Cobb. Um, both words for spider, mm-hmm. not surprisingly. And I'm going back to Ring of Words, Tolkien in the Oxford English Dictionary for this one. Mm-hmm. So they've got an entry on lob, uh, which is also spelled lop with a okay. P. Um, they say this is yet another word for spider in Old and Middle English. Oh. Lob famously reappears in The Lord of the Rings in the name of the monster Shelob. Oh. And remember, uh, in back in, let's see, it was letter 70, mm-hmm. Tolkien actually pitched the idea of Shelob to his son Christopher. He said, oh, yeah. do you think Shelob is a good name for a monstrous spider creature? It is, of course, only she plus lob. E- lob equals spider. He put that in parentheses. Mm-hmm. But written as one, it seems to be quite noisome. Ooh, yes, it does. Um, so, uh, yeah, you know, I remember being a kid and reading Lord of the Rings for the first few times and always thinking it was Shelob. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, uh, but you know, as you get older, you you read more, you understand where it came from. And, right. Yeah, it is she-lob. And that's what it comes from. Lob just means spider. It just yeah. means she-spider. Wow. An interesting note on this, this word lob actually mm-hmm. seems to survive in the modern English word lobster. Oh. Which... Was originally oh. the, originally the those creatures were called locusts, locusta. Okay. Um, but the C changed to a B at some point in the Middle Ages, probably because somebody found a similarity between lobsters and lobs or spiders. Yeah, kind of like a sea spider, uh, right? Yeah. Yeah. With all the little yeah. arms and yeah. So yeah. that's lob. Uh, Explains Cobb, probably why I want to crunch them up too. And dip them in butter. Yeah, I, I was going to say, yeah, because I would eat. Yeah, I would eat the sea spiders. Yes, yes, no doubt. Delicious, delicious lobsters. <laughs> um, cob, cob. We talked about a little bit last time. Right. That's uh, that the same word as cop, cop. Right. As in adder cop. Right. Which uh, which meant spider. And and it's just a even kappa on its own. Even though adder cop means spider, kappa on its own also means spider. Oh, okay. And I think I mentioned last time that that word survives in cobweb. Of spider course, web. cob. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, you know, one last etymological note here, because I'm not going to let you have all of them. Uh, And then I Mm. promise we're done with this and we'll move on. That's fair. Crazy or crazed uh, didn't originally mean kind of our our current sense of, you know, mentally ill or or kind of not all there. Uh, But it Mm -hmm. meant shattered or cracked or broken into pieces. I mean, you can see you can see how we got that meaning. Right. But sure. It it meant that. But with a connotation uh, to the way like glass or pottery glaze would look when it's broken, you know, all all randomly shattered. Um, that original right. sense is almost entirely gone in our modern language, but uh, it survives in a couple of things. There was one, um, you actually helped me find this one, it's called Crazy Paving, which is something yeah. they yeah. talk about in like archaeological digs that they find, uh, you know, yeah. old Yeah, ancient Rome, I believe, ruins. they, they mm-hmm. started that, yeah. And mm-hmm. then um, something I've heard called Crazy Quilting. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, most people, though, don't make that connection, uh, and they just think crazy is... The, the, the same way we mean the word today. And yeah, you, you think crazy quilting, it's like, oh, it's because it's all over the place. It's, right. you know, crazy like a crazy person. Right. Yeah. It's unpredictable or, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, not rational. Yeah. Now, right. I'm not sure what meaning Bilbo intends here when he says crazy cob. I mean, certainly the, the modern sense fits well enough. But when he says your cobweb's crazy, it seems like he's using that original sense that they have this irregular, random, haphazard pattern. 
Um, yeah. Now, if yeah, that's, that's the case, you know, it seems like he's using maybe two different meanings of the same word, which is pretty cool. Yeah. And very Tolkien. Yeah. Really, really <laughs> subtle kind of little subtle bit of wordplay there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's definitely. pretty cool. I like that. Yeah. Good, good catch. stuff. Good stuff. Um, so he does escape, you know, cuts the double thick spider rope uh, and gets away. I, I notice he's, you know, he's kind of he, he leaves and then he doubles back. You know, yes. I don't think we, we didn't read that part yet. No, you're but, right. But, um, you know, he kind of he draws him off, comes mm-hmm. back, and then um, he finds another spider there. Yes. Um, which is, I think that's in the section that I'm going to read. It is. So it is. Let's go maybe ahead. I should read that, and then um, we could talk about Sounds what good. this other spider was doing there. <laughs> he had precious little time, he knew, before the spiders were disgusted and came back to their trees where the dwarves were hung. In the meanwhile, he had to rescue them. The worst part of the job was getting up onto the long branch where the bundles were dangling. I don't suppose he would have managed it if a spider had not luckily left a rope hanging down. With its help, though it stuck to his hand and hurt him, he scrambled up, only to meet an old, slow, wicked, fat-bodied spider who had remained behind to guard the prisoners, and had been busy pinching them to see which was the juiciest to eat. (laughs) It had thought of starting the feast while the others were away, but Mr. Baggins was in a hurry, and before the spider knew what was happening, it felt his sting and rolled off the branch dead. Bilbo's next job was to loose a dwarf. What was he to do? If he cut the string which hung him up, the wretched dwarf would tumble thump to the ground a good way below. Wriggling along the branch, which made all the poor dwarves dance and dangle like ripe fruit, he reached the first bundle. Well, there's an image. (laughs) (laughs) The the dwarves just bouncing, tied up in in spider webs. Yeah. (laughs) I know it's it's one of many things in this chapter that sort of uh, diminishes the horror mm-hmm. of what's actually happening here with just sort of the silly imagery. You know, yeah. we'll get this imagery in a moment of like their noses stuck yeah, out of the yeah. webs. And it's uh, it's kind of silly. It's kind of cute. It's mm-hmm. kind of childish. Yeah, it really is. Um, Which counters that intensity of the spiders. You know, we talked about last right, time how exactly. we really didn't cut any corners with the spiders, made them as terrifying right. as possible. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but I, I like I like a couple of things about this climbing up. You know, yeah. he's climbing up this spider web that's hanging down, and it's it's sticking to his hand. It's hurting him. Um, but man, he just keeps going, and it's yeah. just it, there's just kind of a tough guy moment to this. I just I see him kind of wincing against the pain and just going, I got to do this. Got to yeah. save my friends. And, exactly. You know, I mean, totally. Bilbo, know, like the comfort and uncomfortable. This is this is pain. Yeah. This is uncomfortable, and he's just pushing through. Yeah. 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 Very. So very I, I really cool. like that. Mm-hmm. And then when he finds this fat-bodied spider mm-hmm. waiting for him, I'm sitting here. I'm trying to figure out if this spider was waiting for him oh, as a trap. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it, like a... how does this rate on the Admiral Akbar meter? You know, is this is this like it's full on like it's a trap, or is it like more <laughs> like he's just kind of sad? I'm, g- you know, <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, I, I gotta say it's probably not a trap. I mean, I don't think. Uh, especially with just one spider. I think maybe they left two or three, but this is an old, slow, fat-bodied spider. So, you know, this is like... <laughs> you guys go ahead. Guys. I, I, I'll just I'll just squeeze these and just My see My arthritis is acting up. I'm going <laughs> to... I'll just guard the prisoners. You go Man, on. Man, arthritis is bad enough with four limbs. Can you imagine? With eight? Can you imagine? Yeah, boy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you're probably right. Probably not much of a trap, but, no. you know... If so, it's a very Still, I went back one. as... as I'm, <laughs> Obviously, yeah. It didn't, Oops, it didn't. I'm dead. Surprise! Oh, I'm dead. Yeah. Uh, the, the, Before Akbar could even get the, it's a trap. No, never mind. He's fine. A, oh. He's okay. He's all right. It's not a, not a trap. Elbow's fine. That's right. 
Um, <laughs> but, oh man, good stuff. But and 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 I guess one more thing. Again, sure. I'm I'm really paying attention to these uses of the term, uh, the name Mr. Baggins. Yes, isn't that interesting? You know, we see that a lot now. Instead of Bilbo, we're seeing Mr. Baggins. Yeah, we're seeing at the most and so often it happens. Yeah, exactly. I know. Yeah, I mean, here he's like swinging his sword. He's you know he's he's like a swashbuckler at this point. But uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. here he is. He's called Mr. Baggins. I, I can't help thinking Tolkien is being a little bit ironic here. I think you probably are right. He's just reminding us of the you know the the vast change that's occurred. Yeah, in where he came from and how far he's come. Yeah. All right. We're not going to read that next little bit, but I I do love. Here's more of that humorous stuff you talked about. The fact that he thinks it's uh, uh, most likely feely because the nose is poking out of the thread. Yeah. 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 Oh, good stuff. It's great. Um. So you know he does get feely out, and in mm-hmm. fact, Bilbo even does Poor laugh. Feely. <laughs> he laughed at the sight of him jerking his stiff arms and legs as he danced on the spider string <laughs> under his armpits. Just like one of those funny toys bobbing on a wire. Yeah, like that. right. Yeah, I didn't even mark yeah, that for like reading, but I couldn't string. resist. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like a puppet on a string. It's yeah, kind of erratic jerky motion. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Uh, so you know, and and poor Feely, oh. he suffers a great indignity for a dwarf. That's true. Having his beard cut off. I mean, that's that's got to be demeaning for a dwarf. That explains the five o'clock shadow in the movies. Um, <laughs> was that him? No, was no, that, no. That was Keely. Right, that was Keely. Or was that Keely? I can't. I can't remember. Feely, Feely had a short beard, but um, yeah. He, okay. You, you know, it wasn't like the Feely others. Feely had the beard, the short beard, and the braids. Yeah, Feely had like Ke- and Keely was was the five o'clock shadow one. Yeah. Keely was the handsome one with the five o'clock shadow. Well, I wouldn't call him handsome. <laughs> well, for a dwarf, I mean, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> if you're Tariel. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, but Sean yeah. Marchese, the Tariel to my. I don't know. Certainly not no, Keeley. I was going to no. say Thranduil. <laughs> Get out of here. Probably the Tauriel to your Legolas, because when I talk like that, you want to put an arrow I through do. me. I do. I just absolutely want to just, just shoot you right there. <laughs> no. Okay, maybe just through your leg. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just take an arrow to the knee. Oh, the Skyrim reference for <laughs> the, the Skyrim win, reference. and you beat me to it by a quarter of a second. I was about to say that. Oh. Oh, I used yeah. to be a great podcast host. Then I took an arrow to the then knee. I, then I took an arrow to the knee. <laughs> oh, that is Man. brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Thank you for that. I didn't think we'd ever get a Skyrim reference in. Glad, I'm glad I was there with it. I'm glad you were, too. Uh, and poor Feely was there. Poor Feely, and, you know, he, he actually was much better off than the others, but he was pretty miserable. I mean, he's, you know, the spider poison. Yeah. He'd been hanging around all night. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and then, of course, now he's got to cut off his beard. So none of these yeah. other dwarves were any better off, and, and some of them were worse. So, um, you know, they were able to rescue the rest of them. They got all of them down but five, and it turns out those were Owen and Glowen, Ori, Balin, and Dwalin, uh, as it turns out. Mm. And that's when the spiders come back, and now they see Bilbo. So mm-hmm. uh, we're going to go ahead and pick up here on the— he- Go ahead. Okay, yeah, no, well, he forgot, uh, is that where he's... Did I, did I skip he something? He forgot to put the ring on, hasn't he? Oh, well, no, he had, he had uh, taken the ring off, apparently, right? I mean, we don't... Yeah. Oh, yeah, he had taken off his ring when he rescued Feely. There it is, right there in the text. Is it there? Yeah, in the paragraph that says, Bilbo immediately went to the end of the branch. So he had taken his ring off when he okay. rescued Feely, forgotten to put it on again. So now they see him, uh, and they're going to uh, come after him, of course, Um and they're trying to free the, the, the remaining dwarves when the spiders are on them. So I'm going to go ahead and pick up there. All right. Suddenly, Bilbo noticed that some of the spiders had gathered round old Bomber on the floor and had tied him up again and were dragging him away. 
Well, of course, he's got the most meat on the bones, you know. They're, they're, oh, yeah. They're yeah. looking for the best target. He gave a shout and slashed at the spiders in front of him. They quickly gave way, and he scrambled and fell down the tree right into the middle of those on the ground. His little sword was something new in the way of stings for them. How it darted to and fro. It shone with delight as he stabbed at them. Half a dozen were killed before the rest drew off and left Bomber to Bilbo. Come down, come down, he shouted to the dwarves on the branch. Don't stay up there and be netted. For he saw spiders swarming up all the neighboring trees and crawling along the boughs above the heads of the dwarves. Down the dwarves scrambled or jumped or dropped, eleven all in a heap, most of them very shaky and little use on their legs. There they were at last, twelve of them counting poor old Bomber, who was being propped up on either side by his cousin Biffer and his brother Bofer, and Bilbo was dancing about and waving his sting, and hundreds of angry spiders were goggling at them all round and about and above. It looked pretty hopeless. I'm just trying to picture Martin Freeman waving around a Gordon Sumner. <laughs> I'm like <seeing> it all. <laughs> He's waving his sting. Well, and of course, because I'm such a Dune fan, I'm imagining yes, him dressed exactly. as his character in I Dune, Fader Alpha Harkonnen, with the blue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I'll just leave it yeah. there. <laughs> just Google it. I won't. I won't say it. But yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Oh man, that is hilarious. I'm. I'm really starting to to realize how much of a liability Bombor is on Bombor's this. Bombor's a serious liability. Venture. They would have been better off just he, leaving mean, him at home. Really? I mean, you got to wonder, like, does Thorin owe his family money? I mean, <laughs> does like, he owe him money? <laughs> That's know? good stuff. Yeah. Like, oh, okay, you can you can come on my treasure hunt. Fine. But, you know, just don't get in the way. Just try not try not to get killed. You know, I mean, it's it's but yeah. It, it, yeah, he is a challenge. I mean, yeah. <laughs> But we love him. We do. We all He's... love him. And we don't like it when Thorin <laughs> fat shames him, that's for sure. Or no, Gandalf, don't. for that matter. My goodness. But he is no. he is a bit of a liability. I mean, yeah. Yeah. So the spiders are after him. And I love this phrase, though, here about how it darted to and fro. Bilbo's really on it here, isn't he? Oh, I mean, yeah. He is just. Yeah. There's a hero moment here. You can yeah. see it. You know? Well, it's totally a hero moment because as we see in the passage right after the one I read, that some of the dwarves had knives, the rest had sticks, and all of them could get rocks. That's <laughs> true. Yeah. I mean, these are Bilbo's the only Bilbo's the only one who really yeah, had a weapon. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's well, true. Well, Thorin would have one, but he's not with them, and Gandalf has right. the other one, and yeah. he's gone. So, um, right? Yeah, it is interesting yeah. that you know here they are off to well, go, you know, slay a dragon and get his treasure, and there's only a couple of swords, and those are the ones they found in the troll horde. Well, that that underscores, you know. The fundamental fallacy of this whole, oh, yeah. of this whole total adventure. lack of preparation, you know, like, total lack yeah, of foresight. Right. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They set off on they, they set off to go get their treasure back from the dragon with no plan for how None. to deal with the dragon. No plan at all, Bilbo. You and come there up are a few plan. places in the book where yeah, yeah it's, <laughs> there are a few places in the book where they talk about it, but where Tolkien says explicitly, like they still had not figured out what to do about the dragon. But <laughs> well, um, yeah, then there's but, yeah, this dragon. I mean, they didn't have any weapons. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they didn't bring Turin Turambar no. with, you know, his his big black sword. Heroes in this part of the world like... are scarce. <laughs> and yeah, right. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. yeah. As, as Gandalf said. Exactly. Right? Or not to be found so, at all, if, as I recall. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, no, there's no Turin, which is probably okay. But you really are seeing the, just the power shift in the party oh, huge. Here. And that's that's sort of the theme mm-hmm. of these this chapter and the next it one really is just is. how much Bilbo becomes the leader of the party yes. and the one that they're relying on all the and time. And it's interesting because we see it here first in the absence of Thorin and Gandalf. And in the next chapter, we see mm. it even in the presence of Thorin. That's true. You know, uh, yeah. He really is 
the leader. Thorin really starts to recognize mm-hmm. his authority. Yeah. At no, that I mean point. that's that's next episode, but uh, yeah. or actually I think it's more like the one after that. But probably. Yeah. Yeah. So it's um, but it is interesting here. We see that you know in a big way, uh, especially coming up here in yeah. a little bit uh, when he tells them the secret, and and we'll get to that in a little bit, but not yet. Yep. So only four of these guys could stand up. Interestingly. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know where that is. There we go. Yeah, only four of the dwarves were able to stand firmly. And, you know, we've got dozens, if not hundreds, of spiders. Uh, so, yeah. really, this is this is the end. <laughs> it really does look pretty hopeless. This, this is bleak. That's right This on. is really, you know, mm-hmm. abandon your posts. Flee. Flee. <laughs> Flee for your lives. And then Gandalf comes along. and Hits you with a white stick. and yeah. Hits you with a white staff. So, um and yeah, the spiders are already already starting to weave their webs oh, yeah. around and start, yeah, this, start they're to getting box boxed in. in. Yeah. Exactly, this is a real mm-hmm. problem. So Bilbo uh, is is going to save the day, but he has to come clean with them. Yeah, he really does. He has to tell them. He has to tell them. Look, I'm going to disappear. I'm I'm out of here. Yeah. Uh, I, I know we're skipping. Yep. We're we're not reading a lot because there's going to be a lot of discussion when we get towards the end of the chapter, folks. So please forgive us yeah, if we're yeah. moving a little quickly. But you know, he's he's got to put on the ring. Trying to trying to hit on the the big really descriptive passages. Exactly. And, I mean, there's so much action in this ton chapter of action. that we, you know, ton of action. Yeah, Fol- folks have read it. Folks know what's going yeah. on. Yeah, yeah. So. We want to get to the spot where there's you know lots of stuff that's deeper and more you know analytical. So we're we're yeah. kind of flying through this, but uh, you know, he knows that the only way he's going to do anything is about the ring. So he's going to tell them, look, I'm going to go in the mm-hmm. opposite direction. Uh, I'm going to draw off the spiders. You go over that other direction. And they're, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? And then, boom, he's gone, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is awesome. <laughs> was, yeah. Yeah. Uh, right. And with their dizzy heads and the shouts and the whack. It was like, this is not the time to let them in on yeah. the big secret of your exactly. ring. Exactly. And he doesn't quite yet. But he he but just he, tells them. No, he just says, I'm going to disappear. Yeah. You mean what? you had this ability yeah. all along, <laughs> you know? Um, what, hobbits can disappear? We didn't we know We would have brought a few more hobbits along. How handy is that? <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, so so Balin yeah. did grasp the plan, and, and I love that. Again, we get another mention of Balin, who really does seem to be paying attention and, and kind of respects Bilbo even from the beginning. Uh, so he ends yeah. up kind of leading this attack. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm, I'm sorry. I just noticed the the, past, the, the, the sentence right before that. Adderkop made them so angry that they lost their wits. I just... <laughs> Spiders. It's like, it's like you said a moment ago. Like he's he's his taunting is working a little too. Oh well, yeah. They're like, oh that Addercop. Uh, I'll Addercop yeah. you. I got your Addercop right here. <laughs> I've got your Addercop right here. <laughs> oh goodness. So all right. So Balan yeah, leads, leads this I'm tiny sorry. little attack of what like four of them that can stand, uh, and they yeah. start trying to at least get through the ring. Um, but you know, Bilbo had drawn off a lot of them. Obviously, that was the whole point. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they go on, but they're still being chased. And they have to stop and turn yeah. and fight. And then they chase again. And then Bibble comes back. And he's a hero mm-hmm. again. Again. He goes in. He's slashing yep. at the threads. He's hacking at the hairy legs. He's stabbing at them. They're all just completely ticked off. But they are really afraid of Sting now. Mm-hmm. Um, Mortally afraid of Sting. Mortally yep. afraid of Sting. I was trying to come up terrible with terrible business. jokes about, about the musician. Mortally again. afraid of Sting. Like just, <laughs> if I ever hear, oh, we should leave yeah, Mr. Sumner know, alone. Seriously, um, I'll try. I'll try. But yeah, they were just so afraid of this sword now. As he walks in fields of As gold. He... <laughs> Is that the line? Yeah, I'm yeah, not, yeah. I think it's something like that. Is that it? Yeah, that's from Ten Summoners Tales. I love that album. Great one. Um, 
I, I just, I don't know. I just haven't listened to that much solo stuff. No, I, there's really kinda, only two, kinda stopped at the police, in my but. book, there's only two phenomenal albums. I mean, I, I like a couple of the others, but nothing like The Sun and Ten, ten Summoner's yeah, Tales. And then, nothing um, like The Sun is, is the, the best one. That's, if okay. I had to have 10 albums on a, on a you know, deserted island, that's actually one of them. It was, it was really? also one of the very first albums I bought on compact disc. A new format that okay. <laughs> you may have heard of. <laughs> 30 yeah, years ago. I think that, was, that yeah. and Peter Gabriel's So and U2's Joshua Tree, all of which I'd had on LP I think we, at the time. We talked about Peter Gabriel's So some time mm-hmm. ago. We were talking yeah. about Because it was back in the Genesis days when we were, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Those, those three. Yeah, no, I, was just, I guess I was just more of a police fan. I had uh, Synchronicity on oh, vinyl. Yeah. I did, too. And I had... Um, that came out when some, I was in... Some of the others I got later on cassette and stuff, but... Yeah. Synchronicity, I think I got great. on cassette first and then got on vinyl, actually, because at the time I didn't have a, a good record player. But... Um, and I seem to remember it was kind of a fancy uh, vinyl sleeve. It actually mm-hmm. opened from the top, if I, I remember think correctly. I think it did, yeah. yeah. That was a great, great album. Oh, such a fantastic and album. And we totally do. Even like the... <laughs> yeah, we, we totally do, but... People... I've been thinking about seriously because of the titles oh, of exactly. these episodes. I've been thinking about staying in the police for, for yeah. weeks. My wife is asking me why I'm walking around singing, you know, Fortress Around Your Heart. Stuff like that. <laughs> if you love somebody, set them free. That one oh, too. Oh goodness, yeah. yeah. Anyway. Oh, good stuff. Many miles away. Oh man, you just you're too quick with it, man. I can't even top you. You're just, just right there. <laughs> you're on it. I'm just I'm having a good day. Yeah, you are. You know, so, so Bilbo's waving the waving sting around, saying, "Don't stand so close to me." And <laughs> there you go. Ding, see, see, I could come up see, with something. Boom! Right there. Um, right there. And you have the next passage. I'm going to let you take that. All right. <laughs> All right. But at last, just when Bilbo felt that he could not lift his hand for a single stroke more, the spiders suddenly gave it up and followed them no more, but went back disappointed to their dark colony. The dwarves then noticed that they had come to the edge of a ring where elf fires had been. Whether it was one of those they had seen the night before, they could not tell. But it seemed that some good magic lingered in such mm. spots, which the spiders did not like. At any rate, here the light was greener, and the boughs less thick and threatening, and they had a chance to rest and draw breath. There they lay for some time, puffing and panting. But very soon they began to ask questions. They had to have the whole vanishing business carefully explained, and the finding of the ring interested them so much that for a while they forgot their own troubles. Balin in particular insisted on having the Gollum story, riddles and all, told all over again, with the ring in its proper place. Well, of place. course he was insisting on that, because he was the one, his lookout man, who got caught he out. He was the one who Bilbo slipped yeah, through. Yeah, absolutely. slipped through his, his, uh, his watch, yeah. yeah. No wonder he wanted to know. I do love this concept, though, of good magic lingering. Isn't that... Just an mm-hmm. intriguing concept. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked about those elf it's a, fires. It's a good reminder that we talked about the fact that, you know, the, the Mirkwood is a battleground yes. between the evil of the spiders and, and the elves yeah. of Mirkwood. Yeah. And it's easy to forget that because Mirkwood is such a treacherous mm-hmm. place. But but there is good magic there, isn't there? There really is. I mean, this you know, we come back to the idea that they're good people, you know, mm-hmm. that the elves may be dangerous and we're going to get to more of that. But that in the end of the day, they're they're good people. So yeah. their magic is good magic. Uh, yeah. And, you know, they are really at war with these spiders. Mm-hmm. So it's not a surprise that, um, you know, if there is any tangible magic, to, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, yet, and that again, it lingers, that, that it has yeah, an effect even you know, after they've 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 oh, left, sure. you know, they've sort of left behind a, a trace of, of their magic. Yeah. Of their. It's really cool. Elvish smell. 
<laughs> it just smells uh, clean. That's what it I think. does. There you go. But so this time, so Bilbo t- tells. Go ahead. The whole story of the ring, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. He tells the whole story all over again with the ring in its proper place, mm-hmm. and and Balin. That has to know. be a load off. I mean, it just has to feel. Oh yeah, oh, he, just, goodness. Yeah, thought I was losing my touch. <laughs> so I'm going to go ahead and read the rest of that paragraph because there's uh, some some very interesting things here about the dwarves and their opinion okay. of Mister Baggins. But after a time, the light began to fail, and then other questions were asked. Where were they? And where was their path? And where was there any food? And what were they going to do next? These questions they asked over and over again, and it was from little Bilbo that they seemed to expect to get the answers. From which you can see that they had changed their opinion of Mr. Baggins very much, and had begun to have a great respect for him, as Gandalf had said they would. Indeed, they really expected him to think of some wonderful plan for helping them, and were not merely grumbling. They knew only too well that they would soon all have been dead if it had not been for the hobbit, and they thanked him many times. Some of them even got up and bowed right to the ground before him, though they fell over with the effort and could not get on their legs again for some time. (laughs) Oh, that's hilarious. That's a great touch. It's such an image. Knowing the truth about the vanishing did not lessen their opinion of Bilbo at all, for they saw that he had some wits, as well as luck, and a magic ring, and all three are very useful possessions. In fact, they praised him so much that Bilbo began to feel there really was something of a bold adventurer about himself after all, though he would have felt a lot bolder still if there had been anything to eat. <laughs> and, of course, there is something bolder about him. I mean, we talked about after oh, yeah. the first yeah. killing of the spider how he felt truly fierce. Yeah. Then just watching his actions in that last battle, you know, with fighting and then leading them off and then coming back and then fighting yeah. again. To yeah, the I point mean, he's where showing... he literally couldn't wave his arm anymore. He was so tired, you know? Yeah. I mean, he's showing not only inability to swing his sword competently, but also, right. you know, to use tactics in, yeah. you know, it's to draw uh, them off and then come yeah. back. And yeah, that's pretty amazing. I mean, for, for somebody who's, you know, this is really his first experience with you know, extended yeah. combat. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, he barely knew how to point the sword at Gollum just to make sure the pointy end is pointing at the guy you want to poke. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, right. You know, he, he he's really come a long way without, it would seem, any training. You know, this is yeah. like it's yeah. all somehow inherent, uh, you know, in, in who he yeah, is. He's yeah, he's gone from just, you know, a vague idea of sticking with the pointy end to knowing yeah. how to, you know, how to duel and how to yeah. how to um, use, you know, use his well, wits in a fight. How to swing it. Yeah, exactly. Like they talk about uh, that. That moment about where he darted to and fro, he stabbed at some of them. He was, mm-hmm. you know, it, I, there was a moment here where it talks about how darted backwards and forwards, slashing at their threads, hacking at their legs, and stabbing mm-hmm. at their bodies. So there's, you know, he's he's really understanding kind of sword play, though yeah, nobody's, yeah. he's not having to, you know, fight against somebody who's also, wep- you know, has a weapon. Right. He's not fighting in uh, someone who's Another armed with a sword. Right, right. Yeah. but uh, So he's not having to parry or anything like that. Right. He's... He's certainly learning how to use his weapon and, like you said, picking yeah. up battlefield tactics and, uh, along the way. Mm-hmm. No wonder they have some respect for the guy. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it really is a, a big turning point, and, and yeah. they they see it. Yeah, and, they really do. And now we it is, we are told explicitly that they basically are turning to him for, hey, mm-hmm. what's the plan? You yeah. Know? You're clearly the most competent you, you, among you're, us. You're, you're clearly the brains of the operation at this point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, well, see, Gandalf's gone and Thorin's gone, so Bilbo. <laughs> yeah, what do you got, sir? But I love this. They they notice this is really the key thing about that whole passage. 
that he had wits, luck, and a magic ring, and all three are very useful possessions. Mm, yeah. You know, we've talked yeah. about and... the balance of luck or, you know, um, uh, fate and Iluvatar's plan, as well as the choices that characters have to make, even mm-hmm. with that that kind of backstop, if you will. And that's exactly what we're seeing here. We've setting aside the magic ring for a moment. We've got the wits and the luck. Yeah. You have to have both, really, to accomplish what he's accomplishing. You can't just rely on luck. Yeah. Um, but obviously the luck is, is you know, well, it's, <laughs> it's pretty it's, tremendous. It, but it's a good catch because, you know, we see that uh, knowing about the ring doesn't lessen their opinion about Bilbo at all. And I think it is. No. It is because... Um, it, you know, it's not he's not just relying on this this artifact that he's got. He still has to use right. his wits and and the luck. There's still an mm-hmm. element of luck and an element of his own agency and his own wits yes, in addition to the magic go. ring. His own so, agency. Yeah. And so I think that's that's, that's why knowing about the magic ring doesn't lessen their opinion because, hey, mm-hmm. he's still smart enough to use it. And he's still right. Uh, and to use it properly. And, and obviously he's you know, obviously he's, he's somebody upstairs is looking out for him. You know, yeah. he's got this luck. <laughs> There's so, some fate attached to him. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I think I think that's that all is key with that with that idea of why they mm-hmm. still uh, have this respect for Bilbo, even though they know about the ring. Yeah. Yeah. That's because it's easy to think, oh, he had a ring. Well, no wonder. I don't you know, whatever. If I had a ring, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, th- he could have used the ring to just escape. Yeah. Uh, not that he would have known where to escape, too. But I mean, you know, it's he could have used it and used it incorrectly or forgotten about it and forgotten to use it tactically or to their advantage mm-hmm. but he's like you pointed out he's remembered it he's remembered to use it in, a, in you know appropriately uh, and to use it to save his friends so mm-hmm. no wonder they they don't have any less of respect for him so and we'll see that loyalty play out over the next oh yeah oh next couple of chapters probably mm-hmm. the next maybe two or three episodes we'll see yeah you know how he you know he he realizes he cannot and does not want to leave his friends behind no Eventually, it will become he's worried about what will happen to them without him, as yes, opposed to exactly wondering what's going to happen to him. But uh, and that's an interesting power shift. But that really is. It, it, he does feel a, a tremendous sense of responsibility for mm-hmm. them. Yeah, um, I would like to just make one comment about this yeah, last yeah. sentence that you that you read about. You Boulder. know, yeah, he's he's become something of a bold adventure. But he would have felt bolder if there had been anything to eat. You know, there's that, there's a Took versus Baggins uh, there contrast is, isn't there. there. You know, yeah. he really is bold as a Took, but a little man, food would be nice. So, some bacon would be great. You know, uh, like, some there's bacon the Baggins. Spectacular. Some what was it? Bacon and eggs and toast and butter. I'm still yeah. dreaming about yeah. that. I'm still deep yeah. in dreams about bacon and eggs and toast and butter. You are. You you yourself are. Yeah, personally. Or Bilbo is. <laughs> me me. Right now, I could use some of that. Yeah, no kidding. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, that's a very good point. That's another Took Baggins moment, uh, really is. Yeah. So while we won't read the next little bit, we do discover that, oh my, Dwalin wakes up and says, wait a minute, wait a minute, we're missing somebody. <laughs> Where is Thorin? Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, we find out what happened, you know, that he uh, had been caught even faster than they had. Uh, and when he stepped forward, it was it was all over. So, Sean, if you could pick up after that, that'd be great. Okay. Then the wood elves had come to him and bound him and carried him away. The feasting people were wood elves, of course. These are not wicked folk. If they have a fault, it is distrust of strangers. Though their magic was strong, even in those days they were wary. They differed from the high elves of the West and were more dangerous and less wise. For most of them, 
together with their scattered relations in the hills and mountains, were descended from the ancient tribes that never went to fairy in the west. There the light elves and the deep elves and the sea elves went and lived for ages, and grew fairer and wiser and more learned, and invented their magic and their cunning craft and the making of beautiful and marvelous things, before some came back into the wide world. In the wide world the wood elves lingered in the twilight of our sun and moon, but loved best the stars, and they wandered in the great forests that grew tall in lands that are now lost. Mm. They dwelt most often by the edges of the woods, from which they could escape at times to hunt, or to ride, and run over the open lands by moonlight or starlight. And after the coming of men they took ever more and more to the gloaming in the dusk. Still, elves they were and remain, and that is good people. Boy, there's so much there. Oh, yeah. There's so much there. I mean, that kind of is the Silmarillion. In, yeah, that really is <laughs> like a, a, it's a five-minute overview of the Silmarillion. Um, yeah. You know, for, for those of you who haven't read it or didn't understand it, and that's probably because you weren't listening to the Prancing Pony podcast, Yeah, no kidding. Um, you should take a look at Chapter 3 of the Silmarillion, which was covered by us in Episode 11. My goodness, that was a while back. That's that 60 episodes really, ago. really long time ago. It yeah. does feel like a long time ago. Do you realize that by the time this airs, we will have been doing this for two years? Two years, yeah. Two years, pretty amazing. Um, Never, I mean, it's it's yeah, it's hard to believe that. <laughs> I know <laughs> that we managed to keep doing this for two years, <laughs> and we've still got you know several books to go. At least I don't even want to think of how many years that is, but I think it's yeah. like five or six. Yeah. Um, but you know, when the elves were born, when the Quendi were born. They were summoned by the Valar to come live in Valinor in the West. I'm just going to kind of summarize this as quickly as I can or as briefly. Uh, they were going to live there within the light of the two trees of Valinor, which was, as we've talked about before, not only a source of literal light and tremendous light at that, but mm -hmm. of, uh, of enlightenment, spiritual enlightenment and intellectual enlightenment. Right. So right away, the elves split into two groups. There were the Eldar. Those were those who at least began the journey, who agreed to come to Valinor, even if they didn't end up making it. Uh, and the Avari, or the unwilling, those were the, the ones who refused the summons. That's right. And, and the Avari are the true dark elves. They, right. were, they were never enlightened. They never wanted to be. Mm -hmm. They just were like, they, they heard the summons. They said, nope, I'm good yeah. right here. None of that. Y you guys go. I don't want any part of it. Um, and, and we know some of them you know, probably became orcs and things like mm -hmm. that. Um, not yeah. all of them. I'm, I'm sure no. it wasn't all of them. But, um, but yeah, they just sort of fell off, <laughs> fell off the map at that point. They did. Um, but the Eldar, who actually took the journey, split into three kindreds, and these right. are the three kindreds that are that are mentioned here, although with uh, with yeah, slightly simpler names, names than <laughs> we get in the Silmarillion. Yeah. So the Vanyar, which are called the Light Elves here. Mm -hmm. That was the first kindred. They all went to Valinor, or what Tolkien is calling fairy here, mm -hmm. and they all stayed there. They yeah. never came OMG back. OMG Manway. Except, right. <laughs> OMG right. Manway. They just loved the Valar so much. Yeah. They never came back except for one time, which, well, yeah. read the Silmarillion. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> they didn't come the, to stay. That's for right, sure. Right. Exactly. They just came to take care of business and then yeah. go back. The Noldor, which are called here the Deep Elves, mm -hmm. they all made it to Valinor. That's right. And many of them actually came back for reasons that we really don't have time to go into right now. <coughs> Feanor. <laughs> <laughs> Something about the Silmarils and a guy named Feanor. Yeah, um, yeah. But, but when they came back to Middle-earth, they brought uh, – the, the, the things that Tolkien is talking about here are the narrator, I mm -hmm. should say. They brought skill and craftsmanship and 
wisdom, not to mention a very big chip on their shoulders. <laughs> yeah, very. <laughs> That's true. Um, but they and a superiority so, complex and a just, superiority complex yeah. over the elves that had stayed. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So the Noldor and are the over ones men, who, and over dwarves, <laughs> right? Yeah, and pretty much everybody. Well, yeah. I mean, think about it. What do they call the men? Right? The the sickly, yeah, the sickly, the, the short lived, or whatever. The after, yeah, yeah the, <laughs> and the dwarves are the stunted the people. Dwarves are just and, the stunted people, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Noldor. So the Noldor are the ones who founded the city of Gondolin mm-hmm. and many other cities. But well, even yeah. folks who have only read The Hobbit have heard of Gondolin because that's where the swords that that's uh, right. Sting and uh, Gandalf's sword Glamdring and then Thorin's sword Orcrist were all made in Gondolin. So we, we've heard of and that. And you know we get a mention, not a mention, but a hint of that in the text here that is one of these blink and you miss it moments. Mm-hmm. That they dwelt, uh, that they, um, I'm sorry, they wandered in the great forest that grew tall in lands that are now lost. We're oh, talking yeah, about that's Balerian. true. Talking so about Beleriand. Yeah, that's a good Doriath point. Doriath and, and Osirian yeah. and, uh, and, well, probably not Gondolin, but I was just thinking about the entire... Yeah, I mean, you're talking about wandering in the Great Forests. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely, you know, yeah. the, the elves of Osirian and things like that, which uh, right. we talked about, was it last episode or the episode before that? I think so. Yeah, maybe it was in a question two episodes ago. But yeah, we, to had, remember. we had a question about them. So so that's the Noldor. And then the, the third kindred that's referred to here, the, the Teleri, or the Sea Elves, as they're called here, they started on the journey, but then not all of them made it all the way. They started splitting off right. and going their own way pretty early. So yeah, the first- I think they broke up into three groups too, right? Uh, I think so, yeah. Let's, let's break it down at different times, because first there was, there was the Nandor, that was the Wood Elves, mm-hmm. that's, that's these guys. Um, they yeah. stopped east of the Misty Mountains. They never even- Got across the Misty Mountains. Yeah. Some of them did later on, but not these guys. Right. Um, then you've got the Sindar, uh, or the Grey Elves, they're usually called. They crossed the mountains mm-hmm. and they made it to Beleriand, but they never ended up crossing the sea. Right. And their king was Thingol, whom we will talk about in just a moment. Oh, yeah. yeah, we got a piece on we him. We do. And and of course, his daughter is Luthien Tenuviel. Everybody's heard of Luthien. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we we learned I think we talked about this last episode that Thranduil the Elven King is Sindarin. He actually mm-hmm. had he would have grown up in Doriath or was descended at least from elves who grew up in Doriath. I'm not sure how old he is. Um, but then right, he moved right. back to Mirkwood, which was Greenwood at the time, to rule over the Wood Elves, mm-hmm. which we talked about last time. Right now these Sylvan Elves or Wood Elves or. I think I tried to say Tawarwaith uh, oh, yeah, <laughs> last yeah. episode. I finally said it correctly this time. Um, they they really weren't then all that different from the Sindar who ruled over them. True. They both were descended from the Teleri. Oh, by the way, remember how I'd said that the Teleri broke into three branches? You'd mentioned the Wood Elves and the Grey Elves. The rest would have been the Teleri who did make it. They, that's right. The Teleri of Aqualande who did make it right. under Olwe. Yeah. yeah, who became under the king Olwe. of the Teleri. Yep. Yeah, those yeah. are the ones that So stayed. those are the ones that are truly the Sea Elves. Yeah. 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 Those are the ones who really only, they're the only ones that kept the name Teleri. Right. Uh, and they stayed. They didn't even do what the Vanyar did. When they came back, they just brought some ships and didn't touch the shores. They that's never true, came yeah. back to Middle-earth. Yeah, that's right. Anyway, I digress. But uh, so, you know, all of these came from the Teleri. Uh, mm-hmm. But these two, the Sylvan Elves and the Cinderan Elves, they really aren't that different. They're both from the Teleri. They're both Eldar. And they both failed to make it to Valinor in the end. So really, there's not as, I mean... <laughs> We'll get to, to more of why that is important. But mm-hmm. the fact is that, that that's all that is to explain just what the text means here when it says the wood elves. The wood elves lingered, lingered but they were still yeah. elves. Yeah. They're still elves and they're still Eldar. They're not even the Avari. Right. Uh, so elves they were and remain, and that is good people. So, you know, that at least makes these elves better than the least enlightened elves in Middle Earth. Yeah. 
That's true. Yeah. And and there's a lot more to it than that. Uh, for folks who haven't read the Silmarillion, there's there's a lot of distinction there that's that's worth noting. Um, yeah. The Silmarillion really draws a, a a difference between what they call the Kalaquendi, the light elves, right. the, the elves who made it to Valinor and actually saw the light of the two trees. The trees, right? Which you know, which we talked about a little while ago, um, and the Moraquendi, uh, mm-hmm. which were the elves who did not. And yeah. and so the wood elves, the Nandor, or mm-hmm. you know these elves, the, the Mirkwood elves and their kindred, even though they started as Eldar because they took the journey, they end up mm-hmm. being grouped with the Moraquendi because they never did make it to Valinor. They never did see right. the light of the trees. And so because of that, they are sort of considered, well, not sort of, they are considered dark elves, quote unquote. Yeah. And and we, we'll, we'll, we will see, I think it's in Unfinished Tales where Tolkien says there's, there's not much of a difference between them and the Avari. No. And that includes Thranduil. That includes the Sindarin elves, not just yeah. the Sylvan elves. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the Sindarin elves did have the advantage, uh, those who were in Doriath, of being ruled by a Calaquendi because Thingol was the only one who ever did. Right. He'd made the trip when he was one of the three original ambassadors. Mm -hmm. Uh, And of course, they were also living with, uh, you know, under the reign of of Melian, their queen, who was a Maya. Uh, So that's pretty amazing. But the fact is that well, and she was so beautiful that he was willing to stay in Middle Earth with her as opposed to going back and and seeing those trees. Yeah. Which is pretty amazing. But, yeah. you know, the, the elves themselves, the wood elves, or I'm sorry, the Cinderin elves never saw the trees, and neither did the Sylvan elves. So right. they're all dark in that sense. Now, I know we said that we would summarize that in five minutes. I think we, we lied. <laughs> we, um, we tried. We tried, but we lied. We tr- but, uh, but can you, I mean, it, it's, I mean, really, yeah. uh, for folks who have, are just picking up this podcast with The Hobbit and haven't read The Silmarillion, mm-hmm. um, Really, go back and, and read The Silmarillion. There's a, there's a ton of good stuff there. You know, our first season of You can of do this that podcast. after we're done with The Hobbit if you want. Really, I don't think it's that big sure, a deal. Sure, yeah. But, but yeah, you'll really get yeah. – it'll, it'll retroactively give you some enlightenment. Uh, you know, yeah, yeah, definitely. Especially for this chapter. Yeah. And the next. And we, our, whole first, our, our whole first season of this podcast covered The Silmarillion mm-hmm. and we've – I think we did a pretty good job of breaking it down. I think for we folks. did. I mean, like Corey Olson said, we probably. What do we tell him? We did like fifty episodes, and he goes, "Yeah, that's." And he said a we may short. have rushed it. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, uh, good stuff, though. But yeah, I mean, there's there's a ton of stuff there, and it really is. I, I just I have to say I just can't imagine going back and I can't remember what it was like to read this before I read the Silmarillion. I you know? know, I know, and and knowing what all this means. Because oh, yeah. I've now when you read come the across the light elves and deep elves and sea elves and fairy yeah. and you're like oh yeah I know I know exactly who he's talking yeah. about I can't remember how I felt the first time I read it before I knew who probably they were. just a little mystified um, I, I think I yeah. vaguely remember reading this when I was little and just thinking oh wow there's more elves okay huh? that's neat you know there's more elves right. yeah there's but it was one of these things where they, just maybe they it. just kind of feel like they just kind of feel like broken references textual ruins as Michael Drought calls textual them textual ruins um, I love that even though that you know there was there was actually something there but yeah. I don't know. I've, Nothing I've seen, he ever thought you know, would get some... published at that point. I mean, I know he wanted yeah, it to. Yeah, that's but... true. Um... That's true. I mean, I've heard people who read Tolkien in the 60s and 70s just talk about how how cool it was to read these texts, yeah. read The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. Without. Without, knowing. you know, yeah. The Silmarillion or History Middle Earth or Unfinished Tales. I, there's a little I bit can't of jealousy. I wish, what that would be like yeah, to, to yeah. read it multiple times, to become as intimately familiar with it because – by the time I read The Lord of the Rings for, you know, the 15th time and, and felt super comfortable and super familiar with it, 
I'd already read The Silmarillion. You'd read The Silmarillion. Right. Probably started on History Middle Earth, read Unfinished Tales. Yeah, yeah. I certainly read Unfinished Tales. I don't think I'd picked up history for, for some time. But uh, yeah, it, it's one of those things where the entire Legendarium became embedded in my consciousness as, as one entity. As one thing as opposed to... Yeah, it's all yeah, assimilation stage. <laughs> you know? Right, right. Uh, yeah, and, that's true. And that's fine. That's great. It's got some advantages, but it also has some disadvantages because you don't get to read this quite the way it would have read when it was published in yeah. 1937. Yeah. yeah. I wonder if um, I wonder if, if we now struggle more with some of the true enigmas, mm. you know, like things like Bayorn. Oh, and yeah, because we want answers because so many answers. Because we want given. answers. Yeah. We're so exactly. We're so used to, you know, if you dig deep enough, you can find an answer about, you know, a lot of things. Elves, That's true. Or yeah. Glorfindel or, you yes. know, elvish marriage. You right. know, it's like that. You, oh, man. If you know where to look and you dig deep enough, you can find a lot. Yeah. Except for there's a couple of things. that There's just nothing. Yeah. And Tom Bombadil, it is frustrating. Bayorn, <laughs> there are a few things. Yeah. Um, but, you know, yeah. that, that's the thing. With with Tolkien, you just really do have to come to embrace mystery. Uh, he loved having mm-hmm. that kind of thing there because it lent you do. Yeah. It lent that mythological feel to it, didn't it? You know, I mean, y- mm-hmm. you can't know everything. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I've come to appreciate that. He wanted that idea, that, that exactly. textual ruin. He wanted exactly. there to be some I've reference. come to love that. The cats of Queen Beruthiel, you know, there, no, there's nothing no. there. That's, you know, but... But it's cool that the reference yeah. is in there, and it and it feels it makes the world feel bigger. It does, boy. I remember that when, when uh, with the interview with uh, with Professor Drought when he talked about that exact phrase about the cats of Queen Beruthiel mm-hmm. and 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 how that was never really intended to be anything. That was just a textual ruin, and then he did fill it in, you know, later. Um, yeah. But yeah. Well, so now we've gotten the elves introduced, and now we're about to introduce the king, the uh, elf ta- king. They talk a little bit about uh, the location, uh, and I'll, I'll finish up the end of that paragraph and read the next one. The king's cave was his palace, and the strong place of his treasure, and the fortress of his people against their enemies. It was also the dungeon of his prisoners. So to the cave they dragged Thorin, not too gently, for they did not love dwarves and thought he was an enemy. In ancient days they had had wars with some of the dwarves, whom they accused of stealing their treasure. It is only fair to say that the dwarves gave a different account, and said that they only took what was their due, for the elf king had bargained with them to shape his raw gold and silver, and had afterwards refused to give them their pay. If the elf king had a weakness, it was for treasure, especially for silver and white gems, and though his hoard was rich, he was ever eager for more, since he had not yet as great a treasure as other elf lords of old. His people neither mined nor worked metals or jewels, nor did they bother much with trade or with tilling the earth. What exactly did they do? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I know, sorry. right? Yeah. I know. It's like, like you don't grow food. You don't do seriously, work. Seriously, you're not you growing food. Trade. You're not trading. You're not working with metals or jewels or mining. They hunt. We know they hunt. They hunt. They hunt and they party. And they harp. Yeah. Okay. All this was well You say they harp? <laughs> they harp, yeah. <laughs> Right. Uh, uh, So all this was well known to every dwarf, though Thorin's family had had nothing to do with the old quarrel I have spoken of. Consequently, Thorin was angry at their treatment of him when they took their spell off him and he came to his senses. And also he was determined that no word of gold or jewels should be dragged out of him. He clearly knows who he's dealing with. You know, that this is an elf king who loves gold and jewels. Yeah. Who's... Yeah. Um, I love the description of the cave that we didn't 
we didn't read, but there is a great description of it because it <laughs> yeah. sounds so much like Menegroth, doesn't it? I mean, clearly yeah, this is definitely. inspired by Menegroth. Yeah, um, definitely. I mean, in, in fact, the Legendarium really inspires a lot of this, uh, even if it wasn't originally set in Middle Earth in Tolkien's mind in the in the the solo stage, if we want to call it that. Right. Right. The the Thingol Thranduil stuff that we're going to talk about soon was one big inspiration from his mm-hmm. Legendarium. Uh, you know, we've talked before we about, talked the, about Arkenstone, the Ark Stone, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, being sort of so. inspired by a Silmaril, but not a Silmaril. Yeah, right, exactly. Uh, mm-hmm. Some really great stuff from Ratliff on that. But boy, this this is really revealing. Um, yeah, we get some clarification of this. In fact, the Thingol Thranduil thing, because we're going to start talking about that fairly soon. But Tolkien goes back in Unfinished Tales by saying that. No doubt Thranduil was following the example of King Thingol long before in Doriath. Though his halls were not to be compared with Menegroth, he had not the arts, nor wealth, nor the aid of the dwarves. And compared with the elves of Doriath, his sylvan folk were rude and rustic. Well, there you go. Maybe, that, yeah. No wonder maybe. he's not going to let Tauriel marry his son. She's rude and rustic. <laughs> She's rude and rustic. <laughs> but we learned last time that he wanted to be more like that, didn't we? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But, uh, he wanted that that simplicity. It makes yeah, me think he, of those he, folks he, who, yeah, he you was, know, he, sell, their electro, sell all their electrical was, stuff, go live off the grid. And, <laughs> you know. Right. He was one of the elves who came back to, to Mirkwood saying, you yeah. know, I don't, I don't want any part of, you know, what these Noldor and Sindar are doing out there. You yeah. know, I don't want to be ruled by them. I want to be, a, you know, a king among lesser well, elves, Well, we I know guess. how his, his father felt about the Noldor. Mm-hmm. Remember, he wouldn't mm-hmm. even... Fight under the the banner of the Noldor. That's right, Orifer. Yeah, Orifer. Yeah, yeah. We get yeah, a lot of that in Unfinished Tales. Yeah, yeah. So there I guess some real you know, bitterness there with the, with the Noldor <laughs> there really, wasn't there. There really was. Yeah, <laughs> there definitely was. So yeah, but it's interesting. You know, he didn't have the aid of the dwarves, and so no. his his halls were not nearly. So it's basically like Menegroth, but not nearly as cool. Pretty much. Um, he also didn't have the aid of a Maya, which <laughs> there's to be there said is for that, that too. too. But uh, I, I think it's really key, this idea of Tolkien inspiring himself. Mm-hmm, you know, it, mm-hmm. was, it was later on, as he was writing Lord of the Rings, that he decided that the Elven King had a name, and his name was Thranduil, and he right. had a son, and his son's name is Legolas. I mean, yeah. that's, that is yeah, all— Yeah, that's not here. Yeah, that's all Lord right. of the Rings. That's all well established in the Legendarium. We, we now know that's who the Elven King is. But, but at the time when he was originally writing this— um, That's right. It's there's a lot of reasons to believe that he wasn't quite sure whether this elven king was somebody new or whether he was trying to make it more like the Thingol of the legendary. And, yeah. and I know we want to talk about that. We will. In just a moment. Uh, but, yeah, it's interesting, by the way. I noticed in the original, you know, we talked about the this first line that I read was the king's cave was his palace and the strong place of his treasure. In the original, mm-hmm. he lived in the cave because of his treasure. But here it's the strong oh. place of his treasure. It's just interesting because he really... It, it strengthens even more this bond of uh, hoarding his love for his, of his, his, tru- love of for his treasure. treasure. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's a good you know, catch. And, and we see that because I, I love this. He didn't. He was ever eager for more. You know, he mm-hmm. couldn't compare himself. I, I know you said, and it's true that in the solo phase, he wasn't sure if maybe this was like more like Thingol than than a new new character. But he does still compare himself to other elf lords of old. Right? Yeah. He had not yet as great a treasure as these other elf lords. So, Which really um, sounds like a compar- a negative comparison of himself with Thingol. Yeah, it really does. Yeah, it, it is. Does. It I really know. is one. I mean, that's yeah. the thing. We, but, we, uh, have to, we have to see it as that in the assimilation stage. Yeah, in the, in the stage that we're reading it in, right? That's yeah. true. Um, so, but in, think, both, in both versions, sorry, in both versions, uh, his people lived 
where they talk about not in the cave, not in Menegroth, so to speak, right? right not in the Menegroth right. inspired caves, but in the open woods. They lived on the ground and in the branches. And so. see, that reminds me of like Lothlorien. Mm-hmm. And I can't I can't remember how it was in Doriath. Did whether most of the Sindar lived in the trees or whether they lived in Menegroth. I can't remember. I don't remember. I thought Menegroth I mean, I, I was could, pretty full. I mean, I, I seem yeah. to imagine it being a. a I mean, a I remember Nellas. I, I I distinctly remember Nellas living in a tree. Yeah, that's true. She was true. kind of a loner. She was. She um, was kind of an odd bird. Um, yeah. I mean, Court was certainly in Menegroth, right? That's where yeah. you know where Cyros was, and Good old uh, Cyros. Know, that lovely, <laughs> lovely conversation. But we'll get a chance yeah, to revisit him, won't I we? Know. I know. It's gonna be fun. Yeah, <laughs> Coming very soon. up. Not today. Maybe next week. But yeah, I, I think. Maybe some did, some didn't. Who knows? But here they yeah. all lived out there except for, for him except and Except for the Elven King himself, yeah. Yeah. And obviously, you know, his, his retinue, and his, his, sure, his yeah. guards, his, right. uh, you know, his immediate family, things like yeah. that. So they, they dragged Thorin there because they thought he was an enemy. And mm-hmm. we get that mention of those ancient wars. You know, we talked about the, the inspiration of Thingol. Here they're clearly talking about the Nauglamir, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, and the Nauglamir... So that's one of the later chapters of the Silmarillion. And mm-hmm. um, it, it's just, it's, this is just where it really starts to get confusing if you're trying to figure it out does. Whether, it really does. whether Tolkien originally intended this to be Thingol or whether he always intended it to be a separate character. Because, right. um, you know, if, if we take it at face value based on what we know of the completed legendarium. Right. Kind of the assimilation stage. I the assimilation about. stage. He seems to refer to two different people in two different consecutive sentences as the with elf the king. same phrase, right, the yeah. elf king. He says the elf king had bargained with them and had afterwards refused to give them their pay. That is clearly a reference to Thingol and the incident with the Nauglamir, which I think was called the Nauglafring still at the time. Yeah, I think you're right. Early, in the early draft. Um, so there, the elf king, quote unquote, is Thingol. But in the yeah. very next sentence, it says, if the elf king had a weakness, it was for treasure. Right. Well, this is clearly this guy because it's talking about... You know, how he is this now, and, and, right. and he doesn't have as great a treasure as other elf lords of, Lul, of old. Right, exactly. So that I mean, clearly it, can't be Thingol. Right. So on the one hand, it seems like he's talking about the same person in both sentences <laughs> if you're coming at this with no prior knowledge. Right. And so maybe the elven king of the Hobbit is Thingol. But on the other hand, if you know anything about the Nauglamir story, you know Thingol died mm-hmm. at that Tiny very moment. Tiny little stab wounds all below the yeah. knee. <laughs> right. He, he refused to pay the dwarves. The dwarves stabbed him to death <laughs> yes. many times. Yeah. Over, so over. it can't be Thingol. No. And, and, so, and so Tolkien's insistence on using the same phrase to refer to two totally different people in two consecutive sentences is just kind of confusing. <laughs> it is and, a little confusing. And I, think, and I think that's what that might be what scholars struggle with a little bit when they're trying to figure out, well, was Tolkien trying to make this, you know, the, the yeah. thing all the originally? Elf king or... And the elf king? Yeah. yeah. The only so. thing is, though, there's no mention at all of this elven king having a wife. I mean, right. look, we know that with Lord of the Rings, we know that Legolas's mere existence says that he did or does um, right. because they don't have children out of wedlock. But we know nothing of her. And so she's certainly not as prominent as Thingol's wife, the Maya named Melian. Right, um, yeah, this amazing angelic being. Who, right, we would we would yeah. have seen something about her if this was Thingol. Um, but, of right. course, nobody listened to her in the first stage, so even if she were still here, they'd all still be ignoring her. She'd probably <laughs> just be staying in her royal quarters. You guys are on your own. <laughs> <laughs> probably. I mean, just, you I'm tired of nobody ages. listening to me. Why does nobody ever listen to me? Let the dwarves go, honey. 
Just let him go. Um, In fact, give him some help. Give him some weapons. Yeah, give him some help. Oh, Um, man. Good stuff. Yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, it is clearly not, clearly not Thingol in the later, in the later legendary. But even then, Tolkien had the idea of Thingol marrying Melanie, and you would think he would have done something with that here. Sure, sure, yeah. Um, Ratliff has a really interesting, you know, Ratliff does a really good job of like just really trying to see things from every different. Yeah, angle. he does. He he does some really good speculation and he does. Kind of like what he if does, kind of stuff. And, and a lot of it is like he speculates and then he's like, but that's probably not the case. But yeah, I just wanted yeah, to put he it says out that there. A lot. He'll throw something out there and go, well, that's stupid. That's not it. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> I almost feel like he's trying to um, trying to address contrary arguments. Exactly. I think that's you know, exactly what he's doing. To let you know he's thought through this. So mm-hmm. one thing he does say is that he's he's like, okay, you could make a case for the Elven King being Thingol if you believe that he was killed by the dwarves and went back to the halls of Mandos. Then he returned to Middle-earth, because ah. we know some elves did, like Glorfindel, yeah, but yeah. that when he returned, he didn't bring his wife with him, and he didn't bring his daughter with him, and he didn't bring Baron <laughs> with him, or, you know, any of that. <laughs> but Obviously, you can see that it just it doesn't really compute. I mean, no, Ratliff himself says that that doesn't seem likely. I mean, we know like Glorfindel comes back in Lord sure, of the Rings, sure. but there's usually a reason when elves come back. Uh, there there would be some sort of unfinished business drawing him back to the mortal world. And mm-hmm. Ratliff says Thingol has no such motive, having only stayed in Middle Earth originally because of Melian. Because it was only because he loved mm-hmm. her so much that he wanted right. to stay in Middle Earth with her. Otherwise, the trees, right? Yeah. It seems unlikely that he would have left Valinor a second time without her. Well, I would even so, take doesn't seem likely and turn it into out of the realm of possibility. I mean, it's yeah, I feel yeah. like you can't even make that case because of the existence of Legolas as the son right. of the Elven King. I mean, if elves only have children in marriage and elves only marry once, well, except for Finway, but we all know what happened with that. We know what happened there. Uh, because we have a, and we have a whole discussion his, yeah. of why he was even allowed to do so. Right. Yeah. So I can't see this being the remotest of possibilities unless Ratliff is saying that the, the Elven King here in The Hobbit could be Thingol reincarnated, but that the Elven King is a different character altogether. Like, yeah, I, and I, I don't, don't think he's—I don't think he's going no, there. I think what he's—I think he's just trying to look at it just at the point in time when Tolkien's writing The Hobbit. You know, oh just like, yeah, yeah, in the solo stage, not the yeah, what Corey Olson calls the solo stage. I think he's, yeah. you know, in the 1930s before Legolas, yeah. before you know the idea of Thranduil came out, Bef- right? Before giving him a name, right? Before giving him a name. There was a slight possibility that the Elven King might have been meant to be Thingol or or even Thingol reincarnated, as you said. Sure, sure. I think that's what Ratliff is saying is possible, but not really that likely. Remotely because, possible, yeah. I get from, you. Right. But it's not likely because, again, Thingol loved Melian so much that he denied himself the sight of the two trees to stay with right. her. Which Anybody who's seen. read The Silmarillion knows how, yeah. how significant that is. That's very significant. And, and so it just doesn't... It, that that yeah. I think is just really not Does likely not at compute, all. So no. yeah, so definitely. I mean, again, this is all like at the time of writing. We do know, and I want to make it very clear to everybody listening that once Tolkien wrote Lord of the Rings, oh what, yeah, you know what we call the assimilation stage. He established right. without a doubt that the Elven King was a different character, Thranduil, father of Legolas, and so right. that's where we get this idea of him being sort of inspired by. But distinct from Thingol, it's it's an that's interesting paradox. You know? Inspired by, but distinct from. That's a good way to put it. We resem- he resembles, but is legally distinct from Elu Thingol. <laughs> Any resemblance, any similarities between Thingol and between Thranduil and Thingol are purely coincidental. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would say that Ratliff's final position seems to kind of be summed up in this paragraph that he gives us. In the end, it seems clear that when he wrote The Hobbit, 
Tolkien drew on the old story, which was after all unpublished and likely to remain so, changing it as he did so to make the material more suited to his new purpose. But he left his options open as to whether the Elven King was a new character or an old familiar character appearing in a new story slightly altered to fit his new surroundings. In time, he decided the Elven King was indeed a new character and gave him a name and sketchy history of his own. But this decision postdated the publication of The Hobbit probably by more than a decade, and he never went back and rewrote the key passage in The Hobbit to distinguish what was now the analog from the original. So to this day, we are left with two contradictory accounts of which Elven King was responsible for provoking the Elf Dwarf War, the one in the Silmarillion tradition and the other within The Hobbit. There you go. So it is a yeah. little bit of a paradox, but clearly, based on the assimilation stage, it is two different guys, two different, two different guys. Kings. Yeah, absolutely. So let's touch real briefly before we finish this up um, on the Elf King's weakness. I, I love that his weakness is for treasure. Mm-hmm. His weakness is for, well, he's he's greedy, isn't he? Yeah, it? he really is. Yeah. It, I mean, he wants his bank account to be greater than, <laughs> or at least as great as these other Elf as Lords As the Elf of Lords of old. Yeah, he's... Yeah, there's kind of a, a kind of an interesting like, I don't know. There's a weird ambition to that. You know, he just he's trying yeah. to he's trying to live up to this. He wants uh, to get on that Forbes list of the most wealthy, <laughs> the most elf wealthy kings. elf kings of all time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. There's, he's there's got a, uh, you know Bill Bill Gates and uh, and um, Jeff Bezos are ahead of him, so he's yeah. trying to figure out how to get there. Well, the, the elf versions of you know. Well, right. It would be yeah. like you know Bill Gador and I don't know Bill Gador. <laughs> Jeff, uh, I don't know. <laughs> Jeff Aborn. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jeff Adriel. Bezosamil. Bezosamir. Good stuff. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, or I'm really, so actually, sorry very, very bad stuff. That is terrible say. stuff. That's yeah, terrible, don't, don't terrible, encourage terrible, that. Terrible don't, don't. That's awful. Yeah, you don't do it again. I will fire you. <laughs> That's, that does not uh, deserve any kind of... <laughs> we should probably... We should probably let you read some more to save us we from should. that. Why don't we? I'm going to go ahead and close this out with the interrogation, and we're going to talk about this. It's there's not a lot to talk about, but what's there is really brilliant. It's so really, it's so great. Here. This is yeah, I'm kind of jealous it's of you actually, getting this, this passage. I know. Well, that's why I took it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The king looked sternly on Thorin when he was brought before him and asked him many questions, but Thorin would only say that he was starving. Why did you and your folk three times try to attack my people at their merrymaking? asked the king. We did not attack them, answered Thorin. We came to beg because we were starving. What are your friends now, and what are they doing? I don't know, but I expect starving in the forest. <laughs> it's impossible not to laugh. You can't not laugh. It's great. What were you doing in the forest? Looking for food and drink because we were starving. But what brought you into the forest at all? asked the king angrily. At that, Thorin shut his mouth and wouldn't say another word. Very well, said the king. Take him away and keep him safe until he feels inclined to tell the truth, even if he waits a hundred years. I had to make the elven king sound a little... Of course, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Something. Yeah. Uh, Then the elves put thongs on... (laughs) I'm sorry. I, I okay, I wasn't going to laugh on that. The elves put thongs. Laugh. I know. I was. I know. I'm glad know. you said it because I was going to say something about it. Because <laughs> I, I, that just is hilarious. But yeah. they put thongs on him and shut him in one of the inmost caves with strong wooden doors and left him. 
which you would do too if Thorin was wearing a thong. Absolutely. They yeah. gave him food and drink, plenty of both, <laughs> if not very fine. For wood elves were not goblins and were reasonably well behaved, reasonably, even to their worst enemies when they captured them. The giant spiders were the only living things that they had no mercy upon. Did he just end that with a preposition? He did. <laughs> he did. <Yeah. laughs> he did. Um, okay, so the, we'll, the only, we'll touch yeah. on that the end first. Um, let's just be real clear. Thongs are like strips of leather or hide designed to bind. Yes. So basically, like really primitive handcuffs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is not. They're not. They're the not what. Of, what they're not what thongs. we're all thinking now, thanks to <laughs> like my European swimsuits for yeah. Thorin. You know. Yeah. No. 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 It's not, it's not that kind of thing. Thankfully, thankfully, no. Although, um, if it was, at least they put plural thongs on him and not just one. <laughs> well. Yeah. <laughs> oh golly. Mm -hmm. Um. Yeah. Oh man, suddenly I just feel like I need to kind of adjust my seat. <laughs> um, they 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 are reasonably well behaved, even to their worst enemies. Mm -hmm. I lo I love that reasonably well behaved. Reasonably. So there's a little bit of a caveat. Sure. There, well, they're but, not. You know. you know, they're not going to coddle them or anything. But well, no, no, no. This isn't like you know a federal penitentiary where you get no. cable TV and you know no. time in the gym. No. But they're not torturing him. They're not. You know. They're not. No. Gonna, they're no. not going to whip they're not him. Gonna, no, no. They're not going to put him on the table and you know. I've just taken one year off your life. How do you feel? <laughs> How do you feel? <laughs> Be honest. This is for posterity. Um, that, okay. that actually would have been a good take on Thranduil. Would have been Count Rugen, the six-fingered man. I know. I should have done that. Yeah. Why did you and your folk three times try to attack my people at their merrymaking? I shall do that. Be, Be honest. Be honest. This is for posterity. Um. Boy, that would have been an awesome take. I, I literally had not even thought of it until I got like Me two words away so, from his line, and I'm like, "Oh, I got to come up with a voice for him. I want to make him sound kind of haughty and a little annoying." Oh, you definitely, oh, you definitely accomplished that. But yeah, as, yeah. as soon as you, as soon as you made the Princess Bride reference, I was like, "Oh man, Rugen." I know that would have been much better. Actually, Humperdinck would have been even better. So, which I think you were, you were kind of more Humperdinck with your original one. So yes, you stick yeah, with a little that. bit. Yeah, it's that sort of uh, yeah. Why did you and your folk three times try to? <laughs> anyway. I've got my wedding to plan, my um, bride to kill, Florin to keep, to frame for it, or Gilda to frame for it. it. Yes, I'm booked up. Um, but I have to say, the highlight of this passage is not the thongs. It's not the fact that the Wood Elves treat their prisoners well. It is Thorin's amazingly dry <laughs> sense of humor and sarcasm. It is so great. This is really is one of the awesome. best things in the book. Yeah. In the whole book. I mean, yeah, seriously, it really is. this is hilarious. Yeah. We were talking about this before, um, and we are we are right on the same page. This is this is so fantastic funny. stuff. <laughs> I mean, he's just a one-trick pony, but, you know, well, because yeah. we were starving. What are they doing? Starving. What are we doing? Well, looking for food because uh, we were starving. starving. You know. It's hilarious. And yeah. it makes me think back all the way to chapter one and, and I think the early part of chapter two um, with the note to, to Bilbo. But mostly oh, chapter yeah, yeah, one yeah. where Thorin was just kind of over the top. And we we chalked it up at the time to sort of this kind of haughty and uh, self-important nature that Thorin mm -hmm. clearly has to begin with. But that we hinted that it might there might be a little bit of a, a touch little, of sarcasm. A of sarcasm there, yeah. I think we see here... Thorin is well capable. He definitely has a, a really sarcastic. He has sarcasm. a very sarcastic streak. Yeah, he really does, and it shows brilliantly here. This is one of the funniest moments in the book. Yeah, um, it and is. of course the king doesn't seem to get it, does he? No, it just well, it just gets him angrier and angrier. Yeah, I mean, yeah. He's not used to being. <laughs> yeah, you're right. 
He's not used because to being mouthed off. Because first it was sternly. Too. Yeah. And then at the end, it's Towards the, the end, king he's, angrily. he's angry. Yeah, angrily. Yeah, yeah. Boy, so. that is funny. And so he puts him in kind of like, you know, contempt of court, you know, because he's now, he's not sentenced to a particular time. It's just until he talks. Until you talk, yeah. But man, that is just funny, funny stuff. It's great. I love it. Oh, goodness. So, yes, now we leave that chapter with Thorin in prison. Yeah. Uh, having eaten, thankfully. So he's he's grateful for that, but, you know, only for a little bit. And he starts to worry about his friends. And this hint that very soon the Hobbit will again show his usefulness. Yeah, I love that. Mm-hmm. I love that. Well, that will finish up the chapter, folks. But please stick around. We have a ton ahead of you. Uh, we want to talk again about uh, our recent big news. And then we're going to talk more about these wood elves in Barnum's bag. That's right. As you all know, the good stuff doesn't end when we stop our reading for the day. So why don't we get to that big news first for those who haven't heard it already? That's a good idea. If you follow us on social media or if you've listened to the last couple of episodes, you've seen or heard that we've been invited as special guests to Mythmoot 5, which takes place in June out in Virginia. It's an incredible opportunity, and Sean and I are both really, really excited about it. Yeah, yeah. Check out tinyurl.com. This is the so tinyurl, T-I-N-Y-U-R-L.com slash V for five uh, for more details and to register for the event and join us. I mean, come on out, you know, be a part of it. Please do, because we're going to be doing something really special while we're there. We're going to be doing a live episode broadcast. We're going to be in the main room with no other Mm -hmm. events scheduled during our time slot, and we're going to be bringing (laughs) that to you live on the podcast. Yes, we will. Everyone there at MythMood is going to be able to join us, and we'll have a chance to interview some amazing people. All the headliners are going to be there. We'll be welcoming back to the show both John Garth and Corey Olson, and we're also going to get a, ch- a chance to speak with Mark Ockrand, mm, a guy yeah. who makes a living inventing languages, uh, including Klingon. He's a legend uh, in the in He the is a legend in language, language group. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I mean, Sean probably knows more about it than I do because that's not one of my strengths. But uh, well, but I don't know anything uh, about Star Trek, so we've, we're kind of there. You go. That's why I'm looking forward yeah, to it. There you go. And we're also thrilled to say that Douglas Anderson, the editor of the Annotated Hobbit, will also be joining us. So we're going to talk to all four of those guys. That's going to be so awesome. And, oh man, and, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, uh, you've all heard us talk about Douglas Anderson. So much mm-hmm. of the good stuff we've brought to you this season. Oh yeah, in the Hobbit has been uh, really has owed a lot to his work. So yeah. It's, it's going to be fantastic. This would be more complete if John Ratliff were there, too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'd, we'd owe it all to all three, to, to him and Olson and to, and to Anderson. Yep. But uh, the show's going to air live on Facebook at the time of the event. And right now that's looking like Saturday, June 23rd at 1 o'clock Eastern time. Uh, and that will also be released the next day as, I believe, episode 88. That sounds about right. And if mm-hmm. we stay on schedule, that event is going to be taking place right as we're wrapping up The Hobbit and getting ready for season three. A curious hmm. chance, Tolkien might call it. Though perhaps Gandalf would not. <laughs> Probably um, not. No. Now, now, folks, Mythmoot is generously covering our, covering our uh, event registration and meals, mm-hmm. which will save us quite a bit. But we still have to find a way to get there and stay there for a few days. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, the last I checked, Virginia was about 3,000 miles away from California and about half that about from half Texas. half that for me, yeah. And I keep reaching out to the Eagles, but they still are unwilling to fly us there. They keep t- talking about something like a deus ex machina. So <laughs> we've got to find another solution. Come on, guys. It's a catastrophe. It's fine. You can do it. <laughs> if you're listening, Eagles. Seriously. No, truthfully, yeah. It's, it's very hard. The Eagles are no longer returning our calls. So no, we're coming no. to you, our listeners, to ask, as we do every episode, to consider mm-hmm. joining our Patreon family at patreon.com slash prancingponypod. 
Now, we weren't going to do a live episode from Amut until we got to our next goal, but we, we just couldn't turn this opportunity down. And so now we're coming to you to help us make it happen. Well, and we trust you all will. I mean, you know, we're super grateful for everything you've done for us so far. And it's thanks to our Patreon family that we've been able to make some of the big improvements to the show that we've made, including this move to weekly episodes. So, you know, we're really yeah. grateful. And of course, to make it worth your while, we're, we're going to have some fun rewards too, not just swag, but things like exclusive content. That's right. Things like our postscripts to each episode. We record mm-hmm. these episodes a couple of weeks in advance, and then we listen to them, and we do extra research. We come up with new yes, jokes we that we didn't think of at the time, any mistakes we want to correct, <laughs> uh, any insights from our listeners that come up you know, since, uh, since the last time mm-hmm. that we wish we had shared. Uh, we put those yeah. into a, a brief postscript, usually around 10 minutes, that's available to our Patreon supporters. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll try not to do any more your beard is so long jokes. Those were <laughs> I was listening to that the other day. I was disheartened. Were you? I thought, I thought some of those were fun. They were funny. I'm sorry. I'm just I'm I'm teasing. But they, like two of them were good. good. I think two of two of the twenty or thirty, <laughs> however many we had. That's were, not a bad hit ratio, really. No, it's really not for us. Um, no, no. But <laughs> folks, that postscript that we do that usually releases the same day as the episode it follows. So you can listen to the episode and then immediately jump on your Patreon feed, and it is an RSS feed, so you can throw it right onto your podcast app, uh, just like you would with any other feed. Uh, and you can listen to it that same day. So if you want access to those bonuses, be sure to join the Fellowship of the Podcast. And again, thank you to those of you who've already joined. A big, big thank you. You really are helping to make this show better. Yep. And we want to give our very special episode shout-outs to our patrons at the Care Dance Contribution Tier, D. May in Alaska and James in Virginia. Folks, if you want a personalized shout-out on the episodes, well, now you know where to go. Yeah, and while we truly do appreciate your support, please mm-hmm. don't don't feel obligated by any means. We really no. would love to have you in the fellowship of the podcast, but only if you can afford it and only if you think we've earned it. We of know course. some of you can't or are choosing to support us in other ways, and that's that's fantastic. We're super grateful for yeah. all of that. So, you know, even if you can't join us on Patreon, please keep enjoying the podcast. Keep sharing us. Keep telling your friends. Please. We'll keep making it. It will always be free. Uh, we appreciate all the support you give us. Absolutely. And we certainly will keep making it. So, Sean, what do we have waiting for us in Barliament's bag today? Well, Alan, you know Barliament isn't always timely with the mail, is he? Um, yeah, no, he's not. <laughs> today, one thing pushes out one another. One thing pushes out another, they say. Today, he has an excuse. Uh, a little over a year ago, when we were still talking about the Silmarillion, we received a question about the Mirkwood Elves that we've actually been saving for this chapter. We thought it would fit in really nicely in this <laughs> so chapter. So blow the dust off this one, huh? Yeah, and maybe, okay, maybe we didn't have to wait this long, but here we are. We did, so. <laughs> we did. Here we go. So first of all, a year ago, Dean B. from Hamilton, Massachusetts, wrote to us and asked, I'd love it if you could share your thoughts about a phrase Tolkien uses about the Wood Elves of Mirkwood that's kind of confused me for years. They differed from the High Elves of the West and were more dangerous and less wise. Of course, we read that in tonight's chapter. Mm -hmm. Specifically, Dean asks, how are they more dangerous? I mean, didn't the High Elves have better weaponry, training, and experience when it came to things that would be considered dangerous? It's an excellent question, Dean, and I think it's worth a little Mm -hmm. clarification. Uh, yeah. You are absolutely correct that the High Elves or the Noldor uh, do have better weaponry and better experience. Uh, but uh, although you're, you don't ask anything about the part of the sentence that says they're less wise, I think that is really the key to the meaning here, isn't it, Alan? Yeah, I think, I think so. more dangerous is really explained by less wise. In other words, yeah. it's not a question of their technology. It's a question of their mentality. Mm-hmm. Now, a little while ago, you heard us talk about the three kindreds of the elves and the major dividing line between the light elves or Calaquendi and the dark elves or Moraquendi. 
And we, we mentioned that the wood elves are Moraquendi. They are not an enlightened folk, either literally or figuratively. Well, and we can find a little more uh, to help us understand this in Unfinished Tales. Uh, in the same section of that book where we found answers for Tarek's question last time, mm-hmm. uh, although the Tawarwaith were Tellery in origin, uh, like we talked about in the episode today, they left the journey early. Unfinished Tales tells us that they hid themselves in woodland fastnesses beyond the Misty Mountains and became small and scattered peoples, hardly to be distinguished from Avari. That's the part I was thinking of. Yeah. Yeah, that is. You're right. You mentioned that earlier. Mm -hmm. To say that they were almost indistinguishable from the Avari is a pretty strong statement. That means they weren't much better than those elves who refused the summons of the Valar in the first place. That's right. Yeah. And and that that same section even described them as rude and rustic. We talked about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Um, we did. And and as early as the Second Age, uh, that section tells us they were unquiet and anxious, feeling the change of the world that the Third Age would bring. Mm. What Tolkien's talking about there is the dominion of men. They know that... As elves, they're a people in decline. You know, Tolkien uses this word fading to talk about the elves. the fading of the elves. And like all the elves, they're sad about this. But whereas Mm -hmm. elves like the Noldor, who, you know, we've most recently seen in Rivendell, are Mm -hmm. educated and wise and they recognize that this is part of, you know, what Tolkien called quite explicitly a divine plan. Um, right. And so they take pleasure in everything around them while it lasts. You know, the whole tra-la-la-lally thing we talked <laughs> about, just taking pleasure in the world uh, right, because right. they know that this is just what's what's destined to happen to them. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the Mirkwood elves, who are less wise, are probably feeling threatened. And I think they're doing yeah. all the dangerous things that people who feel threatened always do. Always do. I think, you know, yeah. we see that they become isolationists. They become protective of their borders. They become... Kind of, kind of rash, making deci- you know, making mm-hmm. rash decisions regarding strangers. Yeah, um, you know, the Rivendell elves welcomed strangers into their realm. We saw them joking right. about, you know, don't dip your beard in the foam, father, and all that fun yeah. stuff. Yeah, we already know that the Mirkwood <laughs> elves see that happening here. <laughs> no, not at all. I mean, they've they've already taken Thorin prisoner, and I think everybody listening knows what's going to happen next. Um, and and who can blame them really? I mean, they're surrounded by this forest full mm-hmm. of evil things. And I think getting all the more evil as each day progresses. Yeah, exactly. And I think all of that is making them more dangerous. So I think that's really what Tolkien means when he says they're more dangerous and less wise. I agree completely. And I I would even add that Tolkien describes them in this way about dangerous, I think partly in reference to the dwarves themselves. I mean, if you're a goblin tribe in the mountains, there's no doubting that the Noldoran elves would be far more dangerous than a group of rustic wood elves Mm. with skinny bows led by a single cinder and king. Um, you know, more skilled in combat would, the Noldor would be and far more well-armed, one would imagine. Yeah, But true. these yeah. elves are more dangerous in part because of who the dwarves themselves are. Mm, right. And, and that, of course, brings us back full circle to the fact that they're more dangerous because they're less wise. And so yep. they're not thinking about the fact that these are, are, are allies. These are not enemies. They're just, so. yeah, they're seeing them as, uh, as foreigners and, and therefore mm-hmm. they're, they're treating them as enemies. Yeah. Right. Instead of thinking about how well they're not spiders, so yeah. you know how, the how enemy ultimately of my these is are, my you know, hey, these are adopted children of Iluvatar. We can work with them to overcome the evil. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, that was a good question. Thank you for that one, Dean. I really appreciate that. And that wraps it up for another episode of the Prancing Pony Podcast. Now, we'd ask you still not to leave, though. Wait for the music, uh, folks. As <laughs> always, thank you for joining us, and we look forward to having you again next time when we come to Chapter Nine of The Hobbit: Barrels Out of Bond. Yes, my friends, if you've ever wanted to see the inside of an elvish prison cell, well, now this is your chance, so don't miss it. Uh, It's a lot like a regular prison cell, but probably a lot more leaves and berries hanging all over the place. (laughs) 
And the cards are friendlier. <laughs> well, much, much friendlier in one case, if we're to believe the films. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well said. Well said. Oh, I just keep poor Tyrell is almost in the fan or category in terms of how many times I bashed her. I'm sorry. Um, folks, we want to encourage you all to read along and take notes in your own copy of The Hobbit. So please check out the official library tab on our website, theprancingponypodcast.com. We've got links to everything from inexpensive paperbacks to some pretty good stuff for your token collection. And in the meantime, if you wouldn't mind heading over to iTunes for us and leaving a review, we'd certainly be grateful. Those reviews help us get more visibility in iTunes, and mm-hmm. that translates to a bigger community of Tolkien lovers. Absolutely. And thanks to those of you who have, by the way. We do read every single one of them still, and we do genuinely appreciate all the confusingly nice things you say about us. <laughs> Even if we don't understand how you could feel that way. <laughs> uh, in fact, we've actually started picking out one special review every week to feature yeah, on our yeah. social media networks as a way of saying... So, Let's try that again, Sean. As a way of saying thank you. So if you'd like to see your name or your alias, and please keep it PG, in lights on our pages, now it's easy. All you have to do is leave us a review. And also make sure you never miss an episode of the Prancing Pony Podcast by subscribing to us through iTunes or your favorite podcast app. You can find us in pretty much every podcast directory I know of. Just about. And we're also on Podable now. Podable's a podcast discovery platform that finds new and emerging creators and recommends them to you. It's kind of like the Netflix algorithms in a way. Uh, Other apps still make you sort through the clunky charts to find your new podcast, but Potable learns your interests and recommends new individual shows. I'm sorry, new shows and individual episodes, which is kind of cool. Both popular and undiscovered, so you might find some gems. You can spend less time searching, more time listening. And we want to thank all of you who have become part of our social media family. We set out to start a talking conversation that everyone could join, which is why we have The Common Room online on Facebook at The Prancing Pony Podcast and on Twitter at Prancing Pony Pod. And even on Instagram now, also at Prancing that's Pony right. Pod. That's right. That's right. Yep. Though, you know, that that's for you young folks. I really don't know how to use that yet. But we'll figure it out. We, we use far too many words and not enough pictures for Instagram, but we're learning. We are learning. One last thing as always, though. Please don't forget to send your questions, comments, or Better alibi suggestions for Thorin Oakenshield? <laughs> to Barlaman at theprancingponypodcast.com. That's our new email address starting this season, so be sure to take note. Barlaman at theprancingponypodcast.com. And we'll try to get those into our, our next episode. Well, uh, an hour 35 or so, still far too short a time to spend amongst such excellent and admirable listeners. But until next time. Farewell, friends. 